Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Literally an institution in this town of digging up old photos, old stories, collections, everything you can imagine under the sun about this great city. Greasy spoons, dives, old clubs. If you love this city, you're going to love it even more. Real people, real stories, real places. This is the Austin Found Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the show. I'm J.B. Hager. And I'm Michael Barnes. We're with the Austin American Statesman. Uh, Again, we get to talk about another centenarian, another interesting Austinite that... uh, He's reached 100. He's 103. And Michael had the privilege of spending some time with Walter Benson. Right. Who's lived many different lives with different types of careers, but... He's most associated with golf in Austin. He was a fantastic amateur golfer. And in fact, some pro golfers thought he was the best golfer in Texas. His father was on the founding board of the uh, Austin Country Club in 1899. And he learned the game by caddying for his father and at the Austin Country Club when it was up at uh, Hancock. This this will be good to go down the, the this uh, this for a second because there's been three different locations for Austin right, Country Club. Right. First being Hancock. First being Hancock. Front nine where the Hancock golf course is now, and the back nine where is where the Hancock Retail Center is. I now. never knew there was. Oh yeah. Uh, a back nine. Yeah, and Walter answered a question I've had since I moved here. And would take the student bus from Cameron Road and go buy it to the UT campus. And I go, I know there was a back nine, but how did they get to it? Mm-hmm. I mean, there's streets here. And he said, Well, you went to the very edge corner of the property and you shot over Red River Street. When it was an existing street. Yes. They were still was, playing. Yeah. <laughs> They'd shoot over <laughs> the traffic. <laughs> Not much traffic back then, but so yeah, he solved that riddle for me well i shouldn't be surprised i'm pretty sure i hit a car or two (laughs) hancock uh, giving that a try in college when i lived around the corner from that yeah but then the second austin country club was riverside east riverside it was a far better design Uh, harvey penick a national expert uh consulted they picked wonderful farmland on East Riverside, and it's still there. It's where the ACC Riverside campus is. And as Walter points out, they left out some sand traps. They just never got around to it. <laughs> so it made it a little bit of an easier golf course. Yeah. Then, right? And, and then the third one is out on Lake Austin, uh, right under the Pennebaker Bridge. Now major tournaments are there. Yeah, and I imagine, though, even though the the newest incarnation of Austin Country Club is, like you said, by the Penny Backer Bridge, I still, from reading the article, something tells me Walter still shows up at Muni, <laughs> right? Or Hancock. And maybe not so much out by... But yeah, he he's a great guy. And when he recently went to, to Muni and where we photographed him, 
there was a little kid carrying around his yeah a golf bag. They introduced themselves to each other, and he, and he also is named Walter the Kid. Mm-hmm. He's seven. So uh, our Walter, Walter Benson, said, I was seven when my father first brought me here to Muni in 1924 when they were wow. building it. When it was brand new. Right? So, and, and it was still under construction. So he has seen Muni, this historic mm-hmm. golf course that they're trying very hard to preserve over in, in the Terrytown area. He was there from the beginning, yeah. He has a pretty, obviously, very rich history. Going to Austin High, Walter went to Austin High, played golf at UT, which to this day has a great golf program. Mm-hmm. But back in his day, Harvey Penick was right. the coach. Yes. And and for those of you who are not golfers, his, was, I think it's called The Little Red Book. Of, it's basically a how-to. Well, will live on indefinitely oh, yes. as, written with as Bud Drake and it's uh it, it is full of philosophy and full of humor and and full of coaching tips but uh, Harvey had been the the golf pro at the country club where you know Walter learned to play so he already knew Harvey and then Harvey coached him and uh he didn't win national intercollegiate uh, championships, but he he won several amateur ones in town. And he was our city champion more oh, than yeah. once, which oh, yeah. I knew some guys that played at that level. It's inc- it's incredible. I mean, it's they're a notch from being on the pro tour, right? It's not, oh, absolutely. yeah, you don't discredit no, a city and, tournament. And, and a pro golfer, uh, Jimmy Demerit from Houston, who who won the Masters three times once said to Harvey Penick that Walter was the best golfer in Texas, mm. you know, and that's sweet, <laughs> but you know, he had to be very good to, to, to be considered that. Uh, before we get to a couple of other parts of his career in and around Austin, his family, Walter's family, very ingrained in West Austin, mm-hmm. heavily. In fact, a little bit of trivia, this, the street Winflow, Right. And then you've probably seen there. There's the restaurant off Sixth Street called, right. called Winflow. Was named after his sisters. Yeah, it was named after his half sister and his sister Florence and Winifred. It was a subdivision uh, that was built by his father uh, on the old Nall estate, going back way into the 19th century in, in Austin. And the uh, Joseph Nall, the the um, you know, murdering mayor. <laughs> it's part of that history. Anyway, he uh, they were very much involved in many businesses, but his father and his uncle had a, a paired business in a building on East 5th Street, right behind where Meshikarte is now, that was a Studebaker dealership and a publishing house. Okay. Two completely different industries. Yes. And there's there's still a mural on the side of the building that says Benson Motor Work. Oh, really? Right. Wait, describe where that is again so we can look for it. Okay, if, you, if you're going... Uh, uh, east on East 5th Street from Congress, you've got Meshikarti Museum on your right. Mm-hmm. It's the next building. It's a very handsome building that has these large arches. Okay. Every once in a while, there's been some nice club in there, but it's been many things over the years. And I think they stopped selling Studebakers there during World War II because that company's 
auto works were turned over to the war effort. Gotcha. But the publishing business went on, and eventually Walter took over the publishing business, and they published textbooks. Mm-hmm. In fact, Texas history. A lot textbook. of Texas history. <laughs> Good business, right? And the first one his father got published in the early 20th century was by Anna Pennebaker, who is the mother of the guy who the Pennebaker Bridge is named after. The architect of that bridge. Yeah, he's... No, he didn't do the he's architecture. He's a bridge builder. He, he was a, a bridge builder. They named it after him because okay. he was such an illustrious bridge builder in the state, designer in the state. So, Walther has some rare Texas history books. Is that correct? Well, I mean, he has a, a first edition of, of Anna Pennebaker's book. Oh, okay. Um, the one that became adopted as a textbook. And this is a big deal because getting a, a textbook adopted in Texas or California is instant profit. And they, the Board of Education puts you through all these hurdles. Mm. And repeatedly, the Benson Publishing Company was able to get through those They hurdles. got those contracts. They got those contracts. Huh. And they built on that. He built on that. And he had uh, several Texas history textbooks published in his career. And he did come back to the publishing business, but like many people his age, went off to fight at World War II. That's right. He was a, a radio repairman. He'd already gone to UT and had studied engineering and some other subjects. And then he got trained specifically to repair uh, combat radios. And he was based in Asingbourne uh, near Cambridge in England. And it, this really gives you a perspective on time. Prior to being assigned to repairing radios, he wanted to join the cavalry. Right, right. <laughs> he spent three summers at a military school up in Indiana that um, prepared you to be, you know, part of the mounted cavalry. That pretty much had gone out, not completely, but it had gone out by the time he, he entered the war. And then post-war, he, he got to revisit his love of horses in a big way. In a big, big way. He was a thoroughbred horse breeder. And he was part of the group that brought paramutual betting to Texas that lobbied and lobbied and lobbied. And I don't know if you were paying any attention back then. When I wasn't back then, but I was very interested when I, you know, read from your, your article that it was right around, what, 1980 that we got paramutual betting? That sounds right to me. But he, uh, I remember them lobbying for it forever. But he was uh, member number three in the Texas Thoroughbred Breeders Association. Wow. So, and he was a very big deal. His horses won at least 50 races, and he still has two. And so the track that that I knew growing up here was Maynard Downs. Right. Which, and then there's the one in San Antonio, but we've t it's come up in previous podcasts. There was actually a track in Hyde Park. Yes, way point. long ago, <laughs> the 19th century. Horseback racing was a big, big deal in, in Texas for a long time, which culturally would make you wonder why we took so long to get paramutual betting and, and racetracks in, in a professional way. And, of mm -hmm. course, the reason is we are you know, very much a, a Protestant state, a Baptist state, a lot of the time totally opposed all kinds of gambling. Um, it was a big fight. Yeah, like much like it was when we got the lottery, and right. I was around for that. The other thing that Walter is known for, and was definitely known for in his head, is being quite a good dancer. 
really polished and smooth and fast dancer well into his later years and he was this anything professional or just no, no. social social no back when he was in in england he and his buddies would go seek out any dance that was within a 30 mile radius and they'd bike to it you bicycles to mm. get to the dances and he was just from very early just tall man handsome man athletic man you know, very gentlemanly. He 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 charmed him. <laughs> you know, in, in the article has includes new photos of Walter from 2020. You just see the guy, and he and he looks like a guy you've seen in a movie, right? Yeah. He's if you're casting the wise old cowboy, right? He's that guy. He's that in guy. a second. Is he did is. he feel that way in person? Yeah. Yeah, and but he's he's also very sweet. He, he's uh, in the the pictures that we t- that our photographer, wonderful photographer, took Bronte Whitspoon. He looks a little sterner than he is mm. uh, in person. And if you look at the picture of him with the little seven year old Walter, you you get a little bit more of his warmth. Yeah. But um, is he still a fixture at Muni? Does he show up there? I think, uh, I think yeah, he's. Very active in the the whole campaign to save Muni, mm-hmm. he is recognized. the The whole number three at Muni is named after him. Yeah, that's something to look for if you yeah. go there. And that's a story we'll probably dig into at another time because that's just for, if you're new Austinite, you may not know that's land that was donated to the University of Texas, built as a golf course with a city lease. Mm-hmm. The university wanted to do something else with it, but there's a, a very rich history. Very rich history. It's, uh, it was built by the Lions Club, which is why it's called Lions Municipal Golf Course, shortened by most people at, to Muni. It was also the first golf course in the Old South to be integrated. That has been backed up by credible research. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a state historical marker there for that. And it's a beautiful place. And I had no idea. Like you, I'm not a golfer. So mm-hmm. I had no reason to go there. And I was like, right. why are we saving a golf course in the middle of the city? And then I went there for an event on a beautiful evening and got to walk the grounds. And I was like, this is one of the most beautiful places in town. Don't tear it down. Make it more accessible. Mm-hmm. Put in more regular park activities mm-hmm. here. Mm-hmm. You know, there's plenty of extra little corners and other places where you could have picnic tables or other kinds of things. Mm-hmm. And there is a, on that same tract, is a youth sports association camp there. West Austin Youth Association. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Any, any West Austin kids, that's where they play the t-ball and oh, popcorn. Yeah. Everything. Everything they play. There. Soccer, yep. I was not on board with saving it until I actually went there. It changed your opinion. It changed my opinion completely. And I'll just throw this in if you are into the Save Muni story, which I'm sure we'll do more on uh, in the future. Uh, now I'm more intrigued by it after uh, learning about Walter Benson. Of course, we did mention Ben Crenshaw, but Ben Hogan, Byron Nelson, Sandra Haney, and Tom Kite, also right. notables that right. that spent a lot of time at that and golf also, course. And also at, at the old uh, uh, course on Riverside. A mm-hmm. lot of them played that course. And we'll dig into that uh, <laughs> on a future episode for sure, because it is an intriguing story. And Walter swayed my opinion, mm-hmm. I guess you did, uh, yeah. in that story, 
much like you, I was like, what? I don't get this Muni thing. I'm starting to understand it a yeah. little bit better. Thanks for tuning in to this podcast. We appreciate you tuning in, telling your friends. The Charting the growth of it is really fun to watch. Uh, it's apparent to me that when one of you find it, you go through the whole library, which is why we chose to do this not in a chronological fashion. Right, right. You know, modern story to you know a, a, a 200-year-old story. Right. And just you can just digest it as you wish. Mm-hmm. and uh, Skip around. Without a big commitment, right? No, right. And, uh, and that makes it similar to my books, Indelible Austin Volumes 1 through... Three, I'll be copy editing volume four tonight, Christmas Eve. <laughs> That's what a writer does. The life for, of a writer. For Christmas Jealous? Eve during the pandemic. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah, well, I'm not going to be able to, you know, travel to see family or whatever. But, but yes, they operate in the same way. The stories in there, you can skip around. They're short. They're hopefully entertaining as well as educational. So, so get your indelible Austin. And if you want to expand it statewide, subscribe to Think Texas. Yes, that's our free weekly digital newsletter about Texas history. And you can sign up for it at the newsletter page at statesman.com or by texting Think Texas, the phrase Think Texas, to 33777. Thanks for tuning in. We appreciate you uh, joining us for Austin Found. Happy trails. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.